0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Tim. And we thank you and, uh, for being here this morning. And uh, we're not only fighting the COVID-19, but also the weather as well. And- of course, it's beautiful outside now, but as as of yesterday, it didn't uh, it didn't look too good. We're going to be looking at deacon ordination today, but this is a message for everyone here as we continue our series of messages, four part series in the church essential. And what what do we need? First John chapter two. And as you're turning to that, let me just say we had a great week of ministry, in spite of everything that's going on. In fact. Yesterday, we had about 1,500 people come to our back-to-school giveaway, I think is what we called it, Uh, 1,500 people. And if you noticed on social media, you had some pictures there, perhaps, of people wrapping around our building and a long line giving away over 10,000 items and as well as almost 400 backpacks, I think, that you gave. And so these are the things that you have given. The community also gave um, uh, also uh, in times past, and we put them all together. And so we had a great time of ministry. I want to thank uh, Kevin, Ryan, others on staff, others, lay people that were involved in that. Give yourself and give God a round of applause for what he did, all right? And, um, you know, as we, o- as we open to First John chapter 2, I, re- uh, you know, many of you who have no idea who Kanye West is. Well, I can tell by your response that you do know who that is. Well, if you know the story uh, of the singer and entertainer, he recently uh, made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now you know that he is a big personality. He's out there in the public eye. And many people are saying, well, he's not necessarily doing everything that we would do. I recall also another entertainer years ago by the name of Bob Dylan. Anybody ever heard of him? This is a, this is a crowd that should have heard of him. And uh, Bob Dylan, who also received Christ and began to even preach the gospel sometimes at his concerts. He received a lot of, of, of negative feedback from that. And for some reason, he never, he's never said why. He just quit doing it and really would not even talk about God publicly anymore at all. In fact, the song that was written, uh, You Gotta Serve Someone, was written about his relationship with God. And then later, Make make You Feel My Love, Uh, many people, if you listen to that song, it's all about, it seems like it's all about Jesus going to the cross. But he won't admit that either. So what's happened sometimes to the people in the sports world, entertainment world, what has happened is they've received Christ, they've become like a little baby in Christ and yet we've, we've put them out on the battlefield immediately because of who they are and where they are and gee, what, what they can do for God now that they're saved. But the problem is, is they are, they are not spiritually ready for that type of rigorous spiritual activity in the world. They need to be discipled. They need to grow in the Lord. Now, as mentioned in one of our testimonies by James Wood just a few moments ago, our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. Now, that's our mission statement, and really what the staff uses a lot of times is this uh, a diagram that will show you of concentric circles. And it starts off with a community, and that's everybody outside the church, the crowd, that's people inside the church, community, those are the people that are saved, and we'll go over this a little bit later. But the core group are the leaders of the church, which really pertain to what we're looking at this morning with our, at the end of the service with our deacon ordination. So as we look at this diagram, we can see in our mission statement that we want to build lives that matter, that make an impact for the cause of Jesus Christ. But we can see from this diagram, it's a journey. We can see from the word of God that it's a journey as well. In 1 John chapter 2, as we look at this passage, you know that I've been kind of, I guess, intrigued by 1 John here in the last couple of months and taking different verses from this as we look at, looked at 1 Peter and other um, uh, passages as well. But I'm really intrigued by this passage as I read through it because it seemed like In the beginning, it was like a parenthetical passage that it really didn't belong, that maybe the writer, as Paul did so often, sort of got off on a tangent. He sort of got a thought in his head. The Holy Spirit put a thought in his head, and he wrote something different that really did not have anything to do. Then he goes back to the original passage, but it wasn't. You see, in the first couple of chapters, John has said, look, if you are a Christian, let me give you some evidences, because the rest of this book... In fact, 26 times, I think, in this book, the word K-N-O-W is mentioned. No. The whole theme of the book is how you can know for certain that you're going to heaven. How you know for certain without any doubt that Jesus Christ lives in your heart. And so as we're looking at this first couple of chapters, man, it gets pretty rough. He says, look, if you are really a believer in Christ, he says in verse 6 of chapter 2, kind of sums it up, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Well, I'm, I'm listening to this. I'm reading this letter for the first time. Chapter one, I'm to love like Jesus Christ. Chapter two, I'm to live like Jesus Christ. And at this point, I'm thinking to myself, God, there is no way, no way I can do this. Look how, how far I have fallen short. Well, in verse 12, John, recognizing this and recognizing, I believe, in um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has come to the place where he says, no, I need to be encouraging to you. You are doing well. And let me share with you how well you were doing. And so in this passage, he really uh, implies, more than implies, that there is a journey to the Christian life. And we'll play off that in just a few, few moments. But it's a passage, three or four verses here, of real encouragement to the body of Christ. And I'll show you why in just a moment. So it's here to give encouragement. And also, I think, Also, um, some challenge. So, we're gonna look at three things this morning and then come to the conclusion at the deacon ordination. And the need for it, the journey of it, the victories of it, the journey of spirit, the need for spiritual growth, the journey of spiritual growth, and the victories of spiritual growth. Now, let me share with you at the conclusion of this before we get into the deacon ordination. I'm gonna challenge you, just like the writer challenged his readers. And I'm going to ask you, where are you in these concentric circles? And so keep that in mind. Where are you and where do you need to go and where, what direction does God want you to take because of what we read today? First of all, I want us to see the need of it and coming back to the concentric circles. Notice the outside circle is that of the community. Those are the people that are outside the church. They've never been here. If they've been here, it's been years since they've been here. They don't really consider. If you were to ask them where they go to church, they would never consider Cross Life Church or any church for that matter, as somewhere where they go. That's our target, that's our vision. We're gonna be talking about that next week. That evangelism, going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the church exists, at least partly, and maybe largely, for those who do not go here. We are to reach out to the community, those who do not know the Lord. And if you don't know him today, I'm gonna give you a chance at the end of this service to invite Jesus Christ into your heart. Well, the second concentric circle is the crowd. And maybe you're part of that crowd today. You've come here. The Holy Spirit, you don't know this, but the Holy Spirit's beginning to draw you now to salvation. And you're curious about what's going on. You're intrigued by it, perhaps. And so you're, you're looking through the scriptures maybe a little bit or maybe not. But at least you're coming to church. You're coming at least on occasion Because you're wondering, is Jesus Christ the answer to your problems? Is the answer to your life? Well, that's the crowd. Then we have the congregation where we get into the passage here today. The congregation are those who have received Jesus Christ into their heart. They've been baptized. They've come to know him, and they're part of the fellowship of God. And so let's look at this. He says in verse 12, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. Now notice in this passage, he's going to be going over these twice, little children twice, young men twice, fathers twice. Don't know why he did this. Nobody really knows. But that is the kind of the parallel that he's trying to draw here. And he's saying this about little children. Now keep in mind, this word means tekna. This word in the Greek is tekna, which means little ones are born ones. And so the idea here, he's talking about infants. He's talking about spiritual infants who have just really received the Lord. And they're just beginning to grow in the Lord. And so we see this. As he goes through the book, he keeps calling them my little children or my children, but within the children, as he's kind of like a spiritual father, he looks at himself as a spiritual father as he's probably about 90 years old by now, and he's looking back and he's writing this letter he says, now there's three groups, three groups in this, little children, young men, fathers that represent three stages of spiritual growth in our life. The little children, look at it with me, if you don't mind. In verse 1, verse 12, he says, Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then in verse 13, I write to you children because you know the Father. This is talking about a salvation experience. The very moment that you and I receive Jesus into our heart, where our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And then we are adopted, the Bible says in Romans and also refers to it in many other books of the Bible, we are adopted into the family of God. He becomes our spiritual father. Now, it is really not true that we are all God's children. We are all God's creation. But the Bible says, and that's, only thing we're having to go by here, whether he's your spiritual father or not, that's it. You can, you can have all the thoughts you want or all the, the germs of the world off the street getting your values in, but the only thing that we know about our relationship with God, objectively at least, is found in the Bible. And he says, the very moment that you receive Christ, your sins are forgiven. But notice it says, for your name, for his name's sake. Now he's saying this because He doesn't want his readers to get back into a works mentality. He says, your sins are forgiven. He could have just cut it off at that. No, he says, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. In other words, on account of his name. Originally in the language, on account of his name. Now, when you have a bank account, you draw off that bank account based upon the value of that account. He says, you are forgiven based upon the value and the account of who Jesus is and what he did for your life. Now somebody says, well, I don't know. I think I'm a Christian because of my, I don't know, my my repentance, my repentance. Well, obviously you have to repent of your sins in order to be saved, but a person can repent all day if they don't do it on the basis of Jesus Christ on an account of his name, and then it is worthless. Somebody else says, well, I feel that God forgives all sins because he's a benevolent God, and he loves everybody. Well, where do you get that? Well, I get that from the Bible. Well, the Bible says other things as well, and we need to get those from the Bible as well. But let me ask you this. Suppose uh, you would say uh, Adolf Hitler. Now, he killed 20 million uh, people, 20 million Jews, I think, alone, plus Christians, plus he caused a... Second World War, at least a big, big part of it, millions and millions of people. Would you say that God forgave all his sins? Somebody says, well, you know, I I guess not. Well, what about Mussolini? What about Castro? What about some of these other dictators around the world that have oppressed people and killed people? What about them? I I don't know about them. Okay, so you're saying that God forgives most sins automatically, automatically, but not everybody then how do you know you made the cut? You know, how do you know you made it? He's saying, look, don't think about you're forgiven based upon your merit. You were never forgiven based on your merit. I know you're trying to walk like Jesus Christ. I know you're trying to love like Jesus Christ. These are the goals that I've set before you, and this is your very nature. Now, you may go against that nature, to love people and to love God and to live for Jesus Christ and to walk as he walked. But that's your new nature. But it's your new nature based upon the grace of God, not because of your works. He's trying to encourage them. Aren't you encouraged this morning based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has forgiven you on his name, not your name. His account, not your account. And he says, little children, you ought to rejoice in this. Well, he's saying, that's the church. That's the congregation. But then he goes on to talk about then the committed. He's saying in this, he says, young men, look with me in verse 13. I am writing to you fathers. I don't know why he put fathers before young men. When you get to heaven, asking. And he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Number one, they've overcome the evil one. Talks a little bit more about that in verses 15 through 17. Then he says in verse 14, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. What is he talking about here? He says you've overcome temptation because the spiritual growth, the commitment, and the discipleship that you've had in your life. These are young men, Uh, and it's a generic term. It's just a young, it's applying to a young Christian. A younger Christian that is growing in the Lord and has grown in the Lord. Not an infant, but a growing Christian. A a young man, a young woman, a young person, a young adult as far as spiritually is concerned. One of the things that I I look at in the Bible, and I've never seen this one before, but in Ephesians 5, um, 18 It talks about being filled with the Spirit, and I preached on that many, many times. He says, "Sing, making you know, be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all things unto God. Submit one another in the fear of God." So he says this: if you're filled with the Spirit, certain things are going to happen in your life—joy, peace, thanksgiving, submissive heart. Oh, but then, and a parallel book, really, Colossians to Ephesians, many of the same things. Here's what Paul says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thanksgiving in your heart. Here he's saying, look, it's it's really, you're filled with the spirit, you're filled with the word of God. You're filled with the truth of God. And God is gonna bring you to all truth. We need discipleship in our church. We need you to be taking the next step. And not just be a spiritual infant, but a, a young person. Take the next step to become that young uh, person in Christ. In Christ. Growing and overcoming temptation and the evil one in your life. Then finally there's the core or the leaders of the church. He says, fathers, in verse 13, I'm writing to you because you know him. He's from the beginning. See, you've known him from a long time. I write to you. Fathers in verse 14, because you know him from the beginning. And he says before that, he says, I, I've known you from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the he says, he says, look, the spiritual fathers are, are like, it's the same idea as the elder. We've talked about that a few weeks ago when we ordained Ryan Ritchie to the ministry, how the word pastor, bishop, elder, all are talking about the same office, but they talk about something that's different about the office of the pastor. And the elder idea is not only like a ruler or something like that, but he's usually talking about an older, wiser person. And oftentimes in the New Testament, they they pulled on older people in, in spite of the fact that Timothy was a young man but it was they were older in their heart. They were older in their spiritual maturity in the Lord. So we're talking about not age. We're talking about leaders in the church. The Bible says everything rises, or not the Bible, but many people have said everything rises and falls on leadership. And we can find that true, to be true in the word of God. Now, Wednesday nights before the pandemic hit, we were really discipling people intentionally And we were bringing them through theology courses. I was about to teach a leadership course. Now, we're not going to be able to have those perhaps this fall right off the bat, but we're going to have them online for you. I'm going to be teaching a leadership course, and I'm going to be putting up one every week and uh, allow you to grow or help you to grow as a leader in the Lord. We're going to put up the Old Testament um, class as well and the theology class as well. And so you're going to be able to still grow and because we're, we're not only intentional, but we're serious about this. The greatest need of our church is for us to become more spiritually mature in him and take the next step. Now, why would you want to do that? You're sitting back. Maybe you're sitting at home and you're thinking, yeah, you know, that's all good for some people. But why would I even want to go grow? I mean, you know, Pastor, I feel like your friend back in seminary when you were writing to Sears in order to work. We we worked Uh, at Sears in the credit department uh, while at seminary at least for a while and we were writing and he asked the question he says if we're saved and we know we're saved and we know we're going to heaven then what's the motivation to grow spiritually in fact when we get to heaven we're going to be perfect like like him why grow now okay good question good question two answers number one The Bible teaches us in 1 John, the whole of the book, it's your nature to grow. That's your very nature. That's something, if you're not growing in a a sense, you're dying. If you look at agricultural things around you here in in the state of Florida, you will find out, hey, if they're not growing, they're probably going to be dying anytime. And so it's your nature. But also, why in the world would you want to be immature? There's a lot of disadvantages to that," he said. "But yeah, but pastor, there's a lot of advantages to being a baby. You know, I mean, you get everything you want. You just whine and cry. And you know, I find, I found, I'm I'm just going to confess, I found as a baby Christian, it worked. Just like it works for your baby to cry at night, whine, whine, cry, cry, and so you come, you, you you come to them. And uh, you bring them uh, food or you bring them a change of diapers or whatever they need. It kind of works. But there comes a time in your life where God says, enough. And it, that whining no longer works. Do you really want to be an immature Christian? What does a baby do? A baby's immature, emotionally unstable, whines and cries, complains, blames everybody else, selfish. They're always getting, trying to get something, not giving something. In fact, they give a lot of love. My goodness, having a baby around is, is great, wonderful. But they don't mean to give you anything. It's just by, by their nature, by accident almost, that you're getting some pleasure out of all that. It's not their intention. Their intention is to try to communicate in some way when they don't know how to communicate to get what they need. Do you want to be that way? Do you want to say, I don't know how to communicate with God? I really don't know how to communicate with other Christians. I don't know what this Christian life's all about. I don't know about the ways of God at all. I don't have any wisdom of God whatsoever. No, you you don't want that. You don't want to be one of those difficult people in the church because of selfishness and because of immaturity. And so why in the world would you not want to grow? Why would in the world, if you've come to know Christ and you've come to know the Father through Christ, why would you not want to know him more? Why would you want to remain an infant? It's not only, it's not only our nature, but it's also a mandate and it's also something that we need to do in order to have faith, in order to get through our trials, in order to be victorious in this life. And so what does it take? It takes desire. We've looked at that. It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. <clears throat> Excuse me. Something happened to me the other day. And uh, I've been trying to. Uh, my wife and I have been trying to eat healthier. But we just. Uh, um, we decided to splurge a little bit. And had a hamburger in a while. And so I said. Uh, Why don't I run up here. And get us a hamburger. And uh, she was all for it. And so I, I drove up, and where I'm living right now, you, you, uh, there's a Burger King there, but in order to go from where I am, I have to turn right and then make a U-turn way down the road and come back and get into the hamburger place. Or I could go straight across the street toward the high school, make a little right turn by a back road and go in the back way. And I've only been there once or twice, but that's what I did. Went in the back way, could taste that burger in my mouth. I mean, you know, how bad did you want a burger? It was Burger King, okay, that's enough. And so it wasn't one of those fancy ones. And so there I am in line, and I'm thinking about what to, all I could think about kind of what to order. In fact, I wasn't really thinking at all. And I got in line, I got to the place up there, and it had a big sign there out of, I don't know what it was, Chilope or something, tacos. And I thought, wow, I didn't know Burger King sold tacos. And I looked and I thought, that's all they're selling is tacos. (laughs) I was in the wrong line. (laughs) And so it's one of those ones that had the curb on it so I couldn't get out. It was a long line. So I'm sitting there and I get up to the the voice thing and they say, what do you have? You know, whatever. Well, they say, can I help you please? And I said, well, I I could have said, well, if you don't have one of those chalope things, I'm just not going to order anything. But I didn't even know how to pronounce it, so that would have been a dead giveaway. I didn't want to be dishonest. So I just said, well, I'm just not going to order anything today, you know. And so after thinking about it, they probably thought, well, he probably doesn't have any money. He forgot his wallet or something. I don't know. But I was embarrassed going all the way through, and I was even more embarrassed when I made that right turn into the Burger King. And it had this big red and yellow sign that said, Burger King. And so you say, well, pastor, that was so, sort of, I don't want to say the word, I know children are watching, S-T-U-P-I-D. That was a little S-T-U-P-I-D, wasn't it? Well, not really. And I could make the excuse that I, I've only been there a few times, but that was, wasn't the real reason. The real reason I turned into the wrong place and wasted 15, 20 minutes of my time is because I wasn't paying attention. I just wasn't paying attention. Why don't we grow spiritually? It's lack of intentionality. We're not paying attention. We're just not. The discipline. I like to say the dis, be disciplined in the disciplines of the Christian life. What are those disciplines? Well, some of them is the word of God. You've got to get the word of God in your heart. People say, well, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. Well, have you read it from cover to cover? Have you read it? You believe it, have you, have you read it? The Bible is like our spiritual food. I would not want to go once a week and eat one meal a week and and hope to become physically strong. And some people don't even come to church once a week. You've got to become a self-feeder. You've got to become someone that can feed yourself on the word of God. And the word of God will teach you the wisdom of God. We went over this last week, the wisdom of God, the ways of God. Do you even know how God operates? You can find out through all the Old Testament stories. The will of God, the, 99% of the will of God is found right here in the Bible. I was blessed by some of the, not just the testimonies of the new deacons coming through, but also the question and answer time during the ordination council. And over and over again, they went over the, the, the Bible and how what the Bible has been in their life and how they do their devotional time getting up in the morning or whenever they have it and what they do to walk through that consistent devotional time with the Lord. The word of God will reveal the will of God for our life. And what I'm about prayer? Praying to the Lord. I ran across, I'm reading a book right now by Ian e. Bounds and it's a little devotional book. I just want to read something. Now, he's an older guy. In fact, he's, he's so old, he's dead. And uh, <clears throat> so that's, that's old, Okay, So he was, a, I guess, a, a prophet in times gone by, Ian Bounds, and he was an expert on prayer. He would pray for hours a day. Here's what he says. Haste is often a part of the greatest business of communion with God. Short devotional time is the ruin of deep piety. Calmness and strength are never the companions of haste. Short devotional time drains spiritual vigor and the root and bloom of the spiritual life. Short devotional time is the number one reason for backsliding. It's sure indication of a superficial Christian life. He goes on to say in another day, the next day in fact, we sometimes become lax in our praying and do not realize the peril until the damage has been done. Hasty devotions make weak, feeble convictions and questionable piety. To be little with God... Is to be little for God. Wow. Praying. What are you praying for? What's on your list? Who's the burden on your heart? Are you doing that consistently? And then there's relationships. Listen, we need support. I've, I've shared with you time after time and time again. About the different times in my life. That people have come. In my early Christian life especially. And, and uh, taken me under their wings. And so many times, even in youth groups, we have this great support system. Then they get out and, and, and they can't find it in college and they really can't find it as young adults. And they begin to get away from their Christian experience. I was in um, one place, uh, well, it was a Chick fil A years ago. And I was walking through there and I saw somebody from my college group. And um, he, he was committed. Now, he wasn't necessarily a leader. He was a little bit of a follower, but he was growing in the Lord. And that support system he had at Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens was just tremendous. It was just a tremendous support group for college. And I was in that group. He was in that group. In fact, I performed his marriage ceremony uh, down in South Georgia the first time I was confronted with being below the gnat line outside, you know, I did the... Ceremony like that the whole time, blowing the gnats away. I remember it very, very well. And I go over to him and say, man, I haven't seen you in so long. He's there with his kids, very calm. Wasn't glad to see me at all. And you could tell he was defeated in his Christian life. As I asked him about his walk with the Lord. I mean, he's going to church, but only because it was a a non-gospel preaching church. And his wife was working there in the preschool, running the preschool. Seemed like the only reason he was going. Very discouraged in life. He'd come away from his support group. And we need those relationships in our life. And I'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. Then <clears throat> we go through adversity. We've, we need to go through the tough times. I've said before, two ways that you grow, inner pressure and outer pressure. And so we need all this and we need a determination, a perseverance and a patience that will always be there with us. So where do we get the victories in this? I want you to notice that the book of 1 John says you're gonna have, you go through this this journey of spiritual growth, and you're gonna have assurance of salvation. How are you gonna have assurance of salvation? Because you know him, but you know that you know him. And you know that you know him because he's right there all the time. It's more than just, oh, I, I received Christ, it's in the Bible, so I believe the Bible, therefore I'm saved. No, you sense the power and the presence of God in your life. 1 John 5, 13. You overcome the evil one. We can read about that in verses 15 through 17. And you, uh, you are more mature, strong in the faith. Listen, the greatest thing about you, the most important thing about you and me is our faith in the Lord. You grow in your faith. And then as you go through the circles, you become more influential. Your life has more of an impact. And finally, as you become a leader, With everything rising and falling on leadership, as these men are today stepping up to leadership, that's when you make the greatest impact. It's the greatest sacrifice, but it's also the greatest impact on people's lives. So as we show the diagram again, where are you in this diagram? Where are you? You say, well, I'm in the community, and this is my first trip here. Well, I'm going to encourage you to at least take the next step and become part of the crowd. In other words, be here every week. Just inquire at your own pace, but come. And then we find that maybe you're in the crowd, but now you need to move the congregation. Isn't it time, now that you have heard the word of God over and over and over again, what else needs to happen? What else do you need to know before you receive Christ? Take that step. Maybe you're part of the church, but you're just sitting back in the pew. Maybe you're, <clears throat> you are participating. Hopefully, you're participating in something every once in a while, but you're really not dedicated to growth, personal growth. You don't have a place of ministry. And believe me, I left that out, and I'll come back to that later. But ministry and doing something, exercising is just as important to health as eating. Exercising your faith. Ministering to other people, crucial part. You say that's where I want to be, and then there's the core. You say, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm ministering every week, but you know, I, I feel that need to learn leadership because everybody leads something, and so I need to learn and I need to come into that core the way these men are doing today. You know, one of the things um, I notice with people, we we lack patience. We think to ourselves, well, I can't, I I read the Bible for a whole week. I don't feel any stronger. I I prayed and prayed and prayed for a a whole month and nothing happened much. You know, my, uh, I was able to talk to my grandchildren, the ones that have been over in England for the last 11 years or 10 years, and they moved recently to New England, but I can't go to see them because of the COVID um, situation. So, I haven't seen them, believe it or not, in a year because of COVID. Uh, They visited with us last August. So, I haven't seen them in about a year. And we were um, FaceTiming with them yesterday. And the oldest one was sitting there and we noticed he just seemed bigger. Well, how tall are you now? 11 years old. He's five foot two. How did he get to become five foot two? I mean, he's like four foot two, it seemed like a year ago. He grew. Now, As a parent, my, my son and daughter-in-law probably didn't look at their kids and think, you know, we fed you right yesterday, and we prayed with you, we read the Bible to you, we uh, exercised with you. You don't look any taller today than you did yesterday. But when you haven't seen them for a year, all of a sudden, wow, what happened to you? You see, you and I grow gradually. It's like that tree out in your front yard. If you built your house, you know what I'm talking about. You put these little, they put these little twigs out there, right? And you had to actually have wires for a year just to make them stand up so the natural wind wouldn't blow them over, much less a hurricane. We had that in our church, in our house that we lived in here and built 20 years ago. Right down the road, about a mile from Uh, this campus and they were twigs out in the front yard in fact one of the hurricanes ripped up one of them we never thought it would survive but somehow it did when we sold the house about two years ago those trees were so big I had to hire someone to cut limbs down and to trim those trees up so you could see the house in order to sell it huge oak trees now took 19 years for them to become little bitty twigs to a big tree. It just takes time. It takes patience, but it takes diligence. So where are you in this? Now, I know I'm about to share with you that you can receive Christ, but let me encourage you, if you're a believer here, <clears throat> most of you are, I'm challenging you today to take, to look where you are in that circle and be challenged. Say, God, A year from now, I want people to be astonished. Because that's what's going to happen when I see my grandkids for the first time. I'm going to look, I'm going to be astonished. Be astonished. Pick out somebody in your life. Think about somebody you're not going to see for a year, but you will see them about a year from now. And you say to yourself, I want that person to be astonished about my spiritual growth. I want them to think to themselves, even if they don't ask, what happened to you? Wow. It'll only come if you take bite size and one little step at a time. But it does take a commitment to take those steps every day. I pray they'll make you that commitment today. But for those of you who are in the crowd or in the community in the crowd, you need to receive Christ. That's your first step, to be forgiven of your sins For his name's sake. If that is what you want today, I want to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, even at home, and pray this prayer with me as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Make me the person that you want me to be. Help me to become part of the church body, that that first step inside of Christianity by receiving you today. And I make that commitment in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.